you know, I think that uh, a mindset that an athlete can fall victim to is kind of chasing the prestige or the, or the external status or the, that kind of approach to, Oh, I want to go to Stanford because I want to be able to tell people I go to Stanford. You know what I mean? And they can, they can overlook the details that become much more important once you're actually in the program and you're trying to thrive and you're trying to grow. Making an athlete, a show about athletes, coaches, scouts, trainers, and the stories behind their careers and what it takes to build yours. I'm Ty Davis, and on the show today, we sit down with Lance Morrison, a former Division I and professional water polo player who has played professionally in countries across the world like Germany, Australia, and the United States. Currently, he is the head coach of the previously Northern California State Champs, Miramani's high school women's water polo team, and working at the world-renowned UC Berkeley. Today, we talk water polo and how student-athletes can best position themselves to play at the collegiate level. All right. Thanks, Lance, for joining uh, today, the Making an Athlete podcast. Uh, really excited to have you here. Um, first off, to start off uh, with uh, who you are and give us a little bit of background on um, your sports history. And we'll be talking water polo today and how you landed uh, in a career in water polo. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again for having me on. This is uh, this is really exciting stuff. Um, so my name is uh, Lance Morrison, um, water polo player through and through. Uh, didn't didn't start out like that, but that's kind of how it how it ended up. And uh, you know, I was doing the math this morning, uh, anticipating a question like this. And I had been I had started water polo in two thousand four, um, so sixteen years. And you know, short of breathing, I don't think I've done anything for sixteen years. <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. I, I I don't know. I'm kind of proud of myself for sticking with it, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you reflect back and you, you see all the things that, that it's brought into my life. And, and I just, you know, every day I'm a little more grateful, but, uh, so yeah, I started out, um, I started playing sports in grade school. Um, and I was a, a basketball and baseball guy, uh, started playing farm and then went up to the minor leagues. And then through our, through our school, there were, you know, small basketball programs. And that was merely just because it was, those were the sports that were on TV in the family home. And that's what all my friends were doing. You know, that's uh, the community I grew up in. That's the type of sports that were really, that were really supported. Um, and then in middle school, I actually had a, a little hiatus from organized sports and I kind of got into the the skateboarders, uh, extreme sports, right. you, know, you know, we started, we became less interested in, in throwing a baseball and more interested in uh, going down to the creek and building dirt ramps and stuff like that. And, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know if it was all the injuries I got in that short amount of time or maybe just missing the team aspect of, of organized sports. But uh, when I came, you know, going into my freshman year of high school, I decided, you know, I need to get back into organized sports. You know, that's, I think that's where I belong. And, uh, I, you know, dabbled a little bit the summer going in, I started running with the cross country team. And that was simply because my best friend was a real avid runner, um, ever since grade school. And so he tried to kind of get me into that world. It was exciting, you know, but I was, I was definitely looking elsewhere. I talked a little bit with the football team. Um, and then I think my fresh, it was, it was, it was orientation, freshman orientation, you know, everyone's walking around, we're all intimidated, but the, the, all the sports have the recruiting tables, and I just happened to walk by the water polo table and uh, me being a tall guy, always, always, you know, taller than everyone in my grade. Uh, they came over and, you know, asked me if I was interested, if I ever played sports before. 
and it's, and it's kind of funny. I, I kind of just brushed over all those questions and I just asked him like, just real quick. I mean, do I have to wear a speedo? What's what's that about? <laughs> and that was kind of a make or make it or break it for me. Yeah, and I think you're, you're a freshman, right? Freshman in high school. That's a big thing. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't comfortable in a hoodie and jeans. You know, you expect me to get in a, in a speedo. So, I fortunately they had heard that question before. So, they're like, no, you can wear trunks or you can wear a jammers or something like that. You know, of course, your first day of practice, you get there and you realize nobody wears jammers, and you know, you're you're not you're not a part of the in crowd if you're not wearing a speedo. So your perspective quickly quickly pivots. Anyway, so they, you know, I got past that initial fear. But what really, I think what really pushed me over the edge was I went home and I kind of talked to my mom and, you know, yeah, I talked to a couple different sports and I, uh, this guy from the water polo team came up to me and asked me if I wanted to try. And out of everything that I had been considering up to that point, she got so excited about, about water polo. She was real good friends with some, with some folks on the water polo team when she was in high school. She didn't play herself, but she just got really excited. She was always impressed with the game and, uh, you know, and the athleticism and all that stuff. And, uh, and that's just, for me, it was like, okay, that pushed me over the edge. You know, my mom's really excited about it. Maybe this, maybe this is worth looking into. So that, that's what got me there the first day of practice. And then the rest is history. It was, it was a great fit for me. Um, you know, I wasn't, I've never been the most athletic guy, but my, my build and my makeup kind of, you know, really allowed me to thrive at least early on. And, uh, and the family and the community was just great. So, yeah. So how, how tall were you when you were a freshman? Uh, six, four, six, four. Okay. And then what are you, how tall are you now? Um, if I stand up straight up against the wall, I could probably touch six, six, but I'm probably walking around six, five. Six, you know? five. Okay. So you, yeah. you grew early yeah. uh, in high school. Cause like for me, I was, I didn't, I didn't have my spurt until after high school. Yeah, I was probably about five, nine, five, ten, um, mm. going into senior year of high school. And then after that, I, I shot up to, to six, four, the next coming years. Um, so for you, you chose water polo uh, as a freshman. Did you play, and now you talked about track. Did you just do water polo only, um, through high school or did you do multiple sports? Yeah. So I, that's actually kind of one of my regrets. I wish I did. Um, I had, I actually had my eye on wrestling. I really wanted to wrestle. Um, and I kind of had every intention of going and talking to the wrestling coach and seeing what's going on. Uh, it doesn't, the seasons didn't really overlap between water polo and wrestling, but I quickly figured out um, that all water polo players swim in the off season. Um, and, and, and when school's not in session, you know, like winter and summer, that's when they're playing club ball. So this was, I quickly like learned this is a year round commitment. Um, it's kind of like uh, football players running track, I guess. Right. Yeah. Right. So, they were like, no, you got to swim. You got to swim. You got to get faster. So, so I kind of just let go of wrestling and then, uh, and then I was a full blown aquatics athlete all four years. Okay. Um, but you're still, I mean, I would consider that multiple sport. I mean, you're still doing water polo and swimming. So, sure. yeah. um, you know, you're, you're not focusing on one specific it's, it's, we hear like a lot of guests that we have on, um, talk about playing multiple sports and how you learn different things about like how your body works and everything with, uh, different mm-hmm. sports. And I think the same can be said for swimming and water polo, um, and learning, uh, you're still in the water, but still, uh, different dynamics of, of, you know, how to control your body in the water. Absolutely. Um, you know, when, when you were in high school, um, you know, what was, what was that training regimen like? And then, uh, you know, talking about the training regimen from high school, uh, first we'll just start with that. And then we'll talk a bit more mm-hmm. about that, the college piece in a little bit, but 
high school, what was it like the training regimen? Um, as far as the team was concerned, we were doing morning practices twice a week, um, mm-hmm. sometimes three, three times a week, but that, and that's hard to sustain, especially with a student athlete. Um, but, uh, yeah, we were doing morning practices twice a week. We were practicing in the afternoon, um, five days a week. Um, and then, you know, for the gung ho athletes, you know, like myself, I definitely had my spurts where, you know, on the weekends, or if I was really just trying to get some anxiety out or something, I would go to the gym, the local gym right next to my house. And, you know, do all the, do all the workouts that you see other guys do, or maybe you're, I don't know if YouTube around was around at that point, but I got inspiration somewhere. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was, uh, I think at that time, my inspiration was, uh, looking at the, the bodybuilders and yeah. the gym, but probably not the, the ideal workout for an athlete, but yeah, I kind of, uh, it's kind of funny. You look back, it's like, I, I may have been hurting myself at that point. I don't know if that was really <laughs> in line with what I was trying to become as an athlete, but you know, it was something to do. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so when we, when you look at, you know, your past of, of, uh, coaches that have been a part of your, your, you know, water polo journey, um, what was it about, you know, a coach that, that really gave you the encouragement or the, the, um, the drive to keep, you know, keep playing hard or, or go to that next level. You know, I had a guy, I had a high school baseball coach that, and I was mediocre, um, but he always said, Hey, you have four more or five more years of baseball after high school, no matter where it is, no matter what level it is, that type of like, what kind of coach was that to you? Oh, let's see. You know, I kind of always, and I don't know if this is the same experience for every athlete, but I was always able to connect with the assistant coaches more than the head coach. You know, and I think that's, it's kind of natural, you know, when you're on the bench, the head coach is coaching the game and it's the assistant coaches to kind of connect individually with each guy make sure their head's in the right spot. Maybe talk about what just happened, help them digest. And, uh, you know, I was always getting in the water 15 minutes before practice, 15 minutes after practice or something like that. It's the assistant coaches that were coming in and really like kind of repping out with me. So those are the guys I really bonded with. And, uh, so I think that the, the bond that you're creating and the kind of technical expertise that you're really able to explore from that one-on-one individual conversations, which most of the time came from the assistant coaches was kind of really fostering my interest or kind of nourishing that curiosity and drive on a daily basis. But the, the, the broader conversations that normally came from the head coach about where, what you can actually do, especially with a small sport like water polo, um, I didn't really start thinking about college until probably end of sophomore year. Okay. Um, you know, they were saying like, yeah, you can go to college. You know, I, they showed me pictures and highlight videos of the Olympic team and stuff like that. I think for me, that was just so far fetched that I, I, I don't know that I really integrated that into my thought process. But then when, once I realized that there is a, a college platform, there's a professional platform and, uh, and you can actually take this sport and it can do things for you. Um, that's, that's kind of when conversations with the head coach about, okay, what, you know, you, you've been around a long time, you know, what this college coach is like, you know, what college, you know, what playing in college is like, you know, in, in, in this state versus that state and this area versus that area. And then that kind of, I was really starting to invest my time. Um, I was thinking of my time more as an investment instead of just, you know, something that was just really interesting on a daily basis. Okay. And so with that, you know, and you're talking about, so you start thinking about college. Um, what was that process like for you of going from high school to college, the re- more like the recruiting process? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everyone has a different, you know, based on their talent level. Um, I was a Juco guy. Uh, there's, you know, I, one of my good friends, you know, got a scholarship right out of high school straight to division one. 
What, what was the process like for you? Um, so again, it was kind of like the, the way I got into, into polo is, it was pretty serendipitous. It just kind of happened. I don't know how much I really did to influence it. Um, I, uh, so there's, there's, there's these environmental constraints that I think a lot of times some athletes, especially from areas that you and I are from kind of fall victim to, I don't know if it's the same for baseball, but water polo, California is the biggest hotbed in the nation for water polo, but there are hotbeds within California. And I grew up in San Joaquin Valley and that's just outside, outside of, you know, where college coaches are really looking. I mean, those college coaches, they know where, where water polo athletes are bred, you know what I mean? And I didn't exactly grow up in that, in that community. So, so access to, to talking to all different types of coaches, to being seen by all different types of coaches and, and honestly, even getting the same developmental opportunities, um, that there's an, there's inequities there, right? So there was, there's some good players from our program. It's not like we were completely off the radar, um, but there were few and far between. So we had one guy, I think uh, Ryan McCarthy, uh, he was one year ahead of me and he got a scholarship to Stanford. So I knew that, that there was a possibility to maybe do something like that. Um, but what really happened is I was kind of looking at schools more locally. Uh, you know, UC Davis was in within driving range. Um, UOP was within driving range. I was looking at schools down South and stuff, but again, not really seeing the possibilities because I wasn't talking with them, those coaches very much. Okay. Um, but you know what happened was, and I think, and this is something, one piece of advice I give to any athlete is go where you feel honestly like you're wanted, you know, where you know a coach is going to have a best, vested interest in you. So James Graham, he's now the, the head coach of UOP, but at the time he was, uh, he was at Santa Rosa Junior College. And okay. he would take multiple times, he would drive the hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, whatever it was, taking time out of his own practice to come watch me play, to come talk to me. We sat down, he, he, he wrote things out for me and he, we talked for hours on the phone and I, I was really taken aback. I mean, this is a junior college coach. I, I didn't know that, you know, they worked that hard, yeah. <laughs> um, but he really showed me, you know, he showed me his coaching background. He, he told me what he thinks is possible for, he just really invested. And, uh, and at that point I had other junior college, college coaches talking to me. I was talking to the Davis coach. But uh, when I really figured out like, hey, this guy really wants me and not just not just me as a person, me as an athlete, but he's really interested in me as a person. And that's really what what did it for me. So my first year of college was at Santa Rosa. That was a little long winded. I hope I answered your question. Not long winded at all. It's uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a perfect example of how the process works and how, um, you know, finding that right fit in a coach is important. Uh, so you, you go to junior college. Um, you said Santa Rosa, right? Yeah. I uh, started getting all my junior colleges mixed in my head. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking in San Joaquin Delta because that's out of Stockton. But Santa Rosa, um, I went to American River in Sacramento. I think same same division. I don't know if actually American River had a water polo team. They did. Uh, they were a bitter rival of ours, actually. All right. Uh, I think they played off campus because we didn't have a, a pool. Okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so junior college now, now – making that move to a division one water polo team. What, how'd that transition? Well, I was, I was plugged into the coaches into the, the, the D one programs that had already pulled athletes from, from Santa Rosa. Okay. So, so the, the, the class before me, a guy went to long beach, a guy went to Pepperdine. There was a couple guys who went to, um, you know, some lower division schools like Laverne, um, and Occidental and stuff like that. So I had, I had some open networks readily available. Um, 
I was primarily looking at Pepperdine. That was, it seemed like, like it was going to be a good fit. And that's probably had James not gotten hired at UOP, I would probably would have been a Malibu guy and, uh, and gone and finished out at, at Pepperdine. But again, it, the universe just kind of has a way of guiding you along. Um, I spent one year, I was planning on doing two years at Santa Rosa and then I'll do two more years at a D one school. And, and then hopefully, you know, more opportunities became available, but, uh, but James got hired. Uh, he obviously had a lot of ambitions as a coach, you know, as indicative by his work ethic. And, uh, the first, one of the first things he did is he went to me and, you know, my best friend now, and, uh, he's like, Hey, I want you guys there. Let's, let's do it right now. You know, you don't need to finish out here. Let's just, let's just have you over and we'll, we'll continue to build what we're doing. Uh, continue the work that we're doing over there. And so, you know, I, I feel it's probably unfortunate for the, you, for the viewer that's really, you know, lost and trying to get their bearings that, you know, I just kind of got lucky two times in a row with the same person, but I would, I think there's some truth to, to every applicable to every situation that, you know, you, you can try and you, you got to go through your due diligence and you got to do your homework and stuff, but eventually something like that is just going to happen and you're going to know, all right, this is the right decision. You know, you gotta, you gotta kind of go with your gut. Right. And, uh, and I know you see you got lucky twice and I had a high school, my high school coach, Dave Rodriguez, he always says good things happen to good people. And I think you could say you got lucky, but it's also a reflection of character work ethic that, you know, if you hadn't had those, then James wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't have been one of the guys. He said, come on over with me. You yeah. know, moved on and then you, you played out, you know, and, and, and went a different route, but it's obviously something that he saw with character and, and work ethic. And, um, that played into the luck part that, you know, you know, he got an opportunity and then that gave you an opportunity. So you, you talk about redshirting and uh, a lot of times with redshirting, um, there's some, you know, negative, uh, negative, reasoning by our thoughts about, you know, redshirting. It doesn't mean that you you're actually part of the team. Um, for me, you know, I was a redshirt my first year and junior college was the best thing for me. I grew, I filled out more and I got to be a part of a program and get more, um, training and education. So what did redshirting mean to you? And how, how did it, if it did help you, you know, what, what did it do for you? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, it ended up being a great thing for me. It's not necessarily something that was on the drawing board going into UOP. Um, I think that I was, I was there. I was ready to play. I was anxious to play. I wanted to get in and, and go for it. Um, but I, unfortunately, and this is something that kind of plagued my career, is uh, I, I'm, I'm a very injury-prone athlete. So I had uh, some – the shoulders started flaring up early. Um, and, and uh, you know, through some talks with my coach and my trainer, and realizing like, hey, you know what? Let's let's take a year and let's get the shoulder under control. Um, and then you know, you got we got some we got some good players here that were there when when we walked into the program, and uh, you know, just some other factors that kind of came into play. And so we it was it was a it was driven by an injury. Um, but retrospectively, I think it was a great year for me just to kind of get calibrated. Um, mature a little bit mentally. Um, and, uh, and I think that I was able to get more out of my career because I had done it. You know, I had, I had heard, you know, the, the mental or excuse me, the negative, the negative stigmas, you know, kind of around red shirting for me, it wasn't, I never really felt like I was not a part of the team because it was probably just speaks to my coach that he, he found a way to keep us, keep us involved. And we were practice dummies. So we were getting all kinds of reps in practice. You know, we were there for the, for the, for the athletes that were playing the games, but we were also getting, we were also benefiting because we were just getting rep after rep 
and then we traveled a lot and we were in charge of game film and you know and, and we kind of you know had a lot of discussions about breaking down the game film and stuff like that so i never really i never really fell victim to to kind of feeling isolated from the team i think the hardest part was just not being able to play um you know yeah that was- yeah that yeah that urge to be in the games it's hard hard from the sidelines yeah. um so you mentioned you were injury prone and i just had uh our, one of our last guests with uh sam gay athletic trainer um at washington state um what kind of talk about um, when you're 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 going through an injury um, at that college level? What is the approach? Because and you said you know maybe it was part of that retro year, but I don't know if you had any injuries in the years to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does it take to get through that injury? Because you want to be out there in the water, on the field, on the court. Mm-hmm. Talk about you know that that mentality going into having an injury and getting through that. Well, it really, uh, I think it really gives you an opportunity to develop mental toughness. Mm-hmm. Um, not just, and I'm, I'm not talking about like, you know, just playing through pain. I'm thinking, you know, more along the lines of doing what's necessary to play pain free. And that's, you know, what you're doing before practice, what you're doing after practice, um, the kind of exercises and, you know, it's all, it all comes from muscle imbalances, right? Most of the time, those functional injuries. So just a lot of conversations with the, with the trainer, um, and then figuring out what you need to do. And then obviously inevitably what kind of gets invited into those conversations are, well, what kind of sleep are you getting? You know, what kind of, what kind of stuff are you eating? And that's, you're really starting to wake up to a more holistic perspective of what it means to be an athlete, um, and the kind of discipline that you need to develop and the sacrifices that you need to make. So for me, it was a, it was a very eye opening experience, um, you know, especially in today's day and age, there's more content online and easily accessible than ever before about how just self maintenance on your body and how you, how you can help yourself without ever going to a doctor or a physical therapist or anything like that. Um, you know, it's like, we all, the the best metaphor analogy I can think of is, you know, you get a car and you just drive, 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 drive. You never put oil in it. You never get the oil changed. You never wash the car. You never do these basic maintenance things. You know, that car is not going to last nearly as long. And uh, it's the same thing with your body, especially when you demand um, such an elevated, uh, elevated level of, of, you know, effort and from your body, it's eventually gonna, it's going to break down and it all depends on when it breaks down is uh, directly, determined by what kind of maintenance you do on it. Yeah. I like that. So you're at EOP University Pacific, you play out your years there. What, what happens for you next after your collegiate career? Okay. So I, I graduated. Um, I was fortunate enough to play overseas for a little while. And, uh, you know, I think this, uh, this injuries are going to be an underlying theme from here on out. Um, but so I had, uh, I had been talking with a club, over in Germany. And, uh, and I, that's where I was going to go. I talked to a couple of different guys, um, overseas, but you know, I figured, you know, Germany's going to be the best fit for me. So quickly I was probably, um, in the States for about a couple months after I graduated. And then I went over to Germany, but what kind of was, what was unexpected is that I had a surgery right before I went. And that was because, uh, my ear was really starting to break down. So I've had to date three, three surgeries on the same ear. Um, 
so in addition to the shoulder surgery that I had, um, and so there's like, when I say I was, my career was kind of plagued with injury. That's, uh, I really meant it. Um, so right when I was, I had my flight booked and everything like that. And then, uh, I started uh, noticing some things, you know, some things oh. that were coming out of my ear that shouldn't be coming out of my ear. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, my, my wife, I was dating her at the time and she was, I was getting ready to just jump on the plane anyway. Like, I don't care. Like I want to go play, right. you know? I don't really have that, uh, the, the kind of discipline to really, to really deal with this. So I'm just going to pretend like it's not there. You know, that really speaks to my maturity at that, that <laughs> phase of life. Uh, but she's like, no, you're going to the doctors. And then sure enough, I think a matter of days later, I had a schedule, I had a surgery scheduled and, uh, I had fortunately the, the club that I was going to play for in Germany was willing to work with me. So we pushed my flight dates back a little bit. Um, so I had surgery and I went over there and I still had to stay out of the water for a period of time. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that, I think that answers the question. I'll wait, I'll wait and see if you want to build on that or not. No, but, that, that answers the question. But, um, you know, you, you went to Germany though, you got to play some you know, professional water polo afterwards. Um, mm-hmm. uh, did you go, did you go, you went to Germany anywhere else that you went? Was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I went to, I went to Germany, um, tried to get, tried to get some momentum over there. never really started to take off. And I think, you know, the ear and not knowing like, okay, am I, is, you know, every time I get in the water, is that making this worse? You know, what am I doing? Um, if I only have a little time left, where, where should I be? So I think there was probably a shift of perspective, um, and a realization that the end might be coming sooner than I thought. Um, one of my best friends was over in Australia and, uh, and he was having a great time. He was playing, but kind of had the, a more laid back approach to water polo. So I was like, you know what, maybe, maybe that's where I need to be. You know, I think retrospectively, i definitely would have stayed in Germany, but I was able to play, you know, play a couple months in Germany. I was having a great time. Um, but, uh, there was other, I think there was other cravings in life that I, I kind of wanted to satisfy. So I, I went over to Germany, played a season there as well. And then, uh, and then actually ended up coming back for another surgery on my ear. So that was, I was really bogged down. It didn't matter where I went. It was just really hard to get momentum. I think that this, I was just bogged down with, with the injury itself. And then my worry of my stress about the injury, um, and, and those kinds of things. So, but yeah, so I played out in Australia and then came back, got a surgery and then the rest, you know, was, I kind of took a dive into real life, trying to find a job. And then <laughs> that's all right. But you still got, I mean, it was awesome that you, you know, you went from high school, junior college, college, and then got to have uh, a professional career for um, a year or two and still get right. to experience, you know, a different country. You got to go see a different part of the world because of oh, water polo. And that, that's, you know, an amazing opportunity that you do, you know, if high school Lance was thinking about it, would never expect that he'd be in Germany or Australia. at one never, point. Yeah. yeah. So you have your professional career and you just talked about, you know, you, you're moving into real life. Um, you know, real life, you tell me what that is, but I know, you know, a lot of what we're having you on today is to talk about from the coaching aspect. Um, you know, you led, um, a high school, uh, women's or or girls water polo team to the NorCal state championship twice. Um, what Mm -hmm. high school was that? Oh, that's Miramani high school. Miramani high school. So yeah. Yeah. Talk about that. I mean, you transition now into um, the coaching world. Um, mm-hmm. you know, what, what really drove you to now you know, take all, you know, that playing uh, career and transfer it into a coaching career? Yeah. Um, well, again, it was 
it was serendipitous, right place, right time. Uh, to be honest, I was, I was, uh, my, my wife was from uh, East Bay. She's, you know, she played for, she came up through the girls water polo program at Miramani high school. Um, so when I got back after playing overseas, we, uh, we went back to her hometown and we tried to kind of start to lay our roots a little bit. I was in the process of trying to find a job and, uh, her, my father-in-law, I mean, at the time, obviously he's just my, my girlfriend's dad, but he was pretty plugged into the program still. And, uh, as most high school programs are, are they, they were looking for coaches, you know, they were short on coaches. I was like, you know what? I can't really play right now. I'm injured. I can't really play, but I, I, you know, I still want to be involved in the game. Um, this will give me something to do while I'm looking for a job. Uh, so yeah, sure. Why not? You know, I, and really didn't think past the, that one season. I was like, you know, I'll probably do this until I get a job and then I'll be too busy to do anything. So, but, uh, but it'll be cool, you know? Um, so, so that's kind of how I got into coaching and I had, a, I had a, some experience cause you know, in the off season, your head coach, usually of your, of your respective college program does clinics and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, some of my real good friends and former teammates dove both feet into coaching right after college. So I would, I would drop in and guest appearances, if you will, for lack of a better phrase in their practices. So I, I had a little bit of, I had some confidence going in that I could, I, I had something to offer. Um, so that's kind of how I got into it. Why I stayed is because I, I really started to realize how much I liked teaching. Right. Um, and, and how much being around athletes who were in the very beginning stages and were trying to figure out what sports is all about and what it can do for you, for you in your life really opened my eyes to what it did for me. Um, and that was not uh, a perspective I had going in. And honestly, not one that I probably would have gained had I not decided to coach. Um, so the more and more I broke down my own career and offered advice and everything like that, I just realized how lucky I was and how much I had because I chose to commit to a sport and, and, and to go through it and, uh, and everything that kind of unfolded there, uh, thereafter. So that's kind of, I think that's kind of why I stayed um, and how much coaching is connected to personal growth. Uh, it was just, it's just awesome. It's a great place to, to think and, and be a thought leader in. Yeah. Couldn't think of a better reason to be a coach and, and, you know, help teach what you, you learned as an athlete yourself and then, and then give that opportunity to other younger athletes talking yeah. about uh, water polo specifically and um, that transition of, of youth, athletes wanting to play water polo and wanting to play the next level. What is like the common age that, um, they're, they're starting water polo and what are the options? You know, is it just, is everyone's pretty much starting high school or is there, Mm -hmm. um, you know, teams that they could play on prior to high school? Absolutely. And this kind of goes back to one of my earlier comments about, um, different hotbeds within, within California and other States as well. Um, the developmental opportunities are not equal, um, across, across the nation or even across the state. So, you know, an athlete who's growing up in the community that I'm in now, um, East Bay, East Bay is the hotbed for Northern California. And uh, so there are opportunities younger than younger than 10 years old where where kids can play almost year round the the club water polo world in this area is just flourishing i mean all ages can can get in and and start playing very early um not the case for say where i grew up or or even where you grew up um that it's more of a you start when you're in high school 
Okay. Um, yeah. And so with, you know, like in the, in the hotbed area, you have uh, starting at a young age, um, you know, as from a coach's perspective, um, what, what are the things that, you know, a 10 year old or 10 through 12 year olds, what mm. should they be learning initially as they're coming into water polo and they're first starting their, their career in water polo? Um, I would say, and this is really my, you know, my coach's mind is really going to shine through here. I would say, get them in a team oriented atmosphere as much as you can. Um, whatever reps they're doing, it's gotta be within a team environment. Um, they gotta, they gotta play games, little games, big games, whatever. Um, but they got to learn how to, how to behave in a group, in a group atmosphere. Um, you know, the individual skills and, and those kinds of things, in my opinion, those come later. Um, but really, helping an athlete fall in love with, uh, with being a part of a team and, uh, and caring about something bigger than themselves and figuring out how to work together is really what, uh, folks should be focusing on, um, at that age. Okay. And so you have these club teams, um, what kind of opportunities are there for camps? Um, mm -hmm. and we're just talking camps right now at a young age, not talking showcases, not, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but like for camps, yeah. what are the options out there outside of just a club team? that are available and are, are they good choices to, um, have? Yeah. Um, I, you know, it could, uh, you know, and this will, I'll probably say this a couple times, uh, throughout this podcast, you know, proceed with caution, especially as you get older, but one, one great thing, um, and, it, and I kind of have to break down this answer by age for, for the 10 and 10 and unders, the 12 and unders, they're going to get a more than enough just going to practice. Right. And, uh, you know, they, uh, if the club is, is doing a good job, they're going to find ways for those younger kids to interact with the older kids. Right. So in clubs that I've coached for, you know, we will get the 18 U's and we'll put them in the pool with all the 12 U's and the 12 U's just absolutely love it. Right. And so in, in, in a sense, that's kind of their camp, right? That's kind of their clinic where they can just kind of interact with the older kids, kind of feel, feel how powerful they all feel how powerful they are and, uh, you know, develop relationships and stuff. So I think that's all a kid at that age would probably need. Um, but as far as camps in the, in the sense of like getting exposure to coaches and exposure to other athletes and to maybe get, you know, more developmental opportunities, chances to play on other teams and stuff, we're governed by USA water polo. Um, that's the uh, governing body for the sport in, in the United States. They do, uh, they have what's called an Olympic development program, ODP for short. And that's kind of where um, it's kind of like an all-star approach where you have your zone tryouts and then you have your cadet team and then your youth team. And then, you know, it goes all the way up um, and that's their pipeline. And that really, you know, caters to the best of the best at every age. Um, so is this is this invitation only, or can you just go to, it's an open tryout and then. From yeah. Exactly. The, the initial tryout is open. Anybody can go. Um, but then you're, you're invited back is basically okay. how it, how it, the process is, um, after that initial tryout, but some of the greatest, the greatest players and coaches as it kind of goes back to you know, your respective college coaches, probably doing clinics in the off season. Um, those are, those are very plentiful. Those are happening all over in both genders. Um, you know, so like Tony Acevedo is, is kind of the all-star of, of the United States. He's kind of the, the water polo legend. He has a, a clinic that he goes around with. We have, um, you know, Michael Zelmer, who was an Olympic, uh, a German Olympic goalie for the German team back in the day. He, he has camps and he, you know, travels throughout the nation. I play for, I don't know if the camera can see, I play for <laughs> alumni water polo club. So 
this is uh, there's a semi there's a semi professional league in the United States, and uh, there's the national teams that play in that, and there's the college teams that play in that, but there's also these these club teams. And we're doing uh, clinics and camps all around the nation. We've gone to Florida, Tennessee, um, Detroit. We've gone to Chicago, uh, Texas. You know, so we're 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 out trying to grow the sport, trying to expose people, trying to kind of bridge that gap between yeah. um, the hotbeds and those and those communities that have these athletes that just don't have the access. That's that's awesome. And then and what at these camps? What are what are um, these young athletes going to be exposed to? <clears throat> You know, what's the, uh, well, it's, it's, okay. it's geared toward, I mean, the team strategy and the team tactics and stuff like that, more or less, we're leaving that up to the coaches, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're not here to go over your specific team's program or anything like that. We're here to speak to a mindset that's going to help you. Um, and then we're here to give you some individual, individual stuff to chew on. So we'll have, you know, we break it down by position most of the time. You know, I'm, I was a two meter guy. Um, so I was the guy in there, you know, for the basketball fans out there, I was kind of like the center or the center defender. So I was the guy in there wrestling in front of the cage. So I'll have uh, my, if I'm not running the camp, uh, you know, as a, as a head coach, you know, I'm more of a positional coach Then I'll have my station where we're going over all different kinds of little things. And, okay. and what's really, what's really beneficial for the, for the athlete is you, you have them try these skills on you. Um, you know, and you slow down, speed up as, as much as you need to, to adapt to the ability level of the athlete, but really getting reps against someone who's got it down to a science is really, uh, is really what the, the, the benefit of those kind of camps are, in my opinion. All right. I'm going to sign up. <laughs> one-on-one with Lance All right, um, let's do going back to uh, your, your you being a coach at the high school level um, let's talk a little bit about uh, a lot of times we have college coaches on here talking about the recruiting process so from that top-down approach um, so as a high school coach uh, let's talk about the recruiting process from your position as a high school coach and and trying to get these um, young athletes the opportunity that you had when you moved on to the next level What's your approach? And, you know, I guess it, it's dependent on freshman through senior year. Um, talk a little bit about that, about that how, how that process works. Yeah, well, I actually kind of had to adapt my perspective um, because, you know, where I, where I came from, where, where I played, it was more of like the approach was more of, hey, you're going to go with whoever's talking to you. You know what I mean? You're not going to get the conversations that with these college coaches that players that I coach now um, get all the time, right? So it's like, hey, you know, I was really only able to get in touch with two college coaches. So it was really just a decision, this one or that one, you know, where I came from. Now it's because those options and those conversations are so more um, easily accessible for these athletes. It's a, it's a, you kind of have to dive into it deeper, you know, and you kind of have to find a deeper meaning for the decisions that you're making. So, you know, I, and this is not me bashing on my, on the community that I'm in now at all, but you know, I think that uh, a mindset that an athlete can fall victim to is kind of chasing the prestige or the, or the external status or the, that kind of approach to, Oh, I want to go to Stanford because I want to be able to tell people I go to Stanford. You know what I mean? And they can, they can overlook the details that become much more important once you're actually in the program and you're trying to thrive and you're trying to grow. So I find myself really trying to wake the athlete up to that dynamic. Um, you got to go where you're wanted. You got to you know, seek out conversations from people who play for that coach you know, and ask them, what was it like playing for them? Do they have a coaching style that you think is going to fit you? Um, you know what I mean? And you gotta, so we, we really try to break the surface, um, 
of uh, just evaluating your options based on, you know, external factors like prestige or, or you know, what the, that, that kind of stuff. That makes sense. And that's where like a lot of times you see athletes that maybe chased um, a, a certain enigma and then they end up transferring after a year or two because it just wasn't the right fit with the right approach. And, and yeah. they, you know, they find they end up going to another school that, that is more fitting towards their personality or what they're looking for. When, mm-hmm. so you have, uh, you know, what, what grade level do the coaches start co- um, coming to you as a coach and talking about your student athletes? Um, outside of like the, the very special athlete that might be showing glimmers of greatness early on, um, high school level. So we have, uh, at the, and by this time, the athletes are pretty dedicated and solely committed to, to water polo. You know, I kind of wish that, you know, athletes were kind of being a little more versatile and playing other sports. And, you know, we can, we can kind of get into that a little later, but so I think by high school level, whether it's on your high school team or the club you're playing for in the off season, that's when college coaches really start to become interested because you're, you're on the horizon. You know what I mean? As a 14, you or a 12, you, you know, you might show incredible talent or potential, but it's just too far off. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you have, and you mentioned high school, um, high school club. So talk about the difference between the two, uh, you know, in the, a lot of sports we talk to the guests on here, it can mean a lot of different things, you know, for, um, for volleyball, women's volleyball, there's a difference in club and high school and club's going to get a lot of attention. Um, where a lot of more college recruiting, um, college scouts are going to be, uh, uh, on site there. So talk about it for water polo. What's the difference in the two and what weight, what weight do they carry? Yeah, absolutely. Well, club is definitely going to carry more weight. Probably I would say, um, I've spoken with a lot of college coaches and, uh, more often than not, they're asking about their club experience. So, and, and athletes are spending more time on their clubs, excuse me, on more time on their club team than they are on their high school team by far. You know, we have, you know, if you want to break it down by season, you got the summer season, the fall season, the winter season, and then the spring season, the only season that you're, um, solely dedicated to high school is going to be in the fall. Okay. and that's when you're taking a break, you, you know, you, you're breaking, to, uh, you're taking a break completely from club and I'm just in my high school season. There's coaches aren't going to really be college coaches. Aren't going to really become interested and they're not going to take the time to, in my experience to come watch you play until the postseason or the tournament right before the postseason that determines the seating for postseason. You know what I mean? So that's when college coaches are going to become really interested. And that's a, a three week period. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, now the rest of the time you're on your club team and you're going to USA water polo sanctioned events, right? And all of these college coaches are plugged into USA water polo. So they got access. They're being updated. This is where the tournament is. These are the kids. These are the teams that are going to play. So it's easier for them. And then plus they're seeing you play on a, on a bigger stage because you're playing against athletes, not just in your league or section, you're playing against athletes across the entire nation. There's, you know, athletes coming from everywhere. So what you are able to do on that bigger stage, I think is going to carry more weight in, uh, in the coach's eye than in your high school team, unless you have a very competitive high school league, obviously. So when you have club and high school, um, how often are the, you know, the, the members on those teams, is there a lot of crossover in those two teams? There's a lot of same people or is there a good mix on the club team? That's not the same as the high school team. Um, 
so I guess the, the, it's the same athletes. Um, you know, occasionally, rarely you're going to, you're going to get that athlete that only plays in the high school, only plays high school. And then the rest of the year they're off doing their own things. Um, but especially because this is such a water polo hotbed, um, everybody is both feet in a hundred percent dedicated throughout the entire year. So it's kind of funny because it makes the rivals, uh, the high school rivalries that much more fun because uh, awesome. nine months out of the year we're teammates, but you know, these three months we get to really beat up on each other. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> and uh, the players know each other front to back, you know, our scouting reports on, on our high school teams are, I mean, you think we're like a professional franchise, you know, the stuff that we know about the other team and their players because they spend so much time with them. Um, so yeah, there, in that regard, there's a lot, there is a lot of overlap. Okay. That's awesome. Um, that's, that's yeah. You're around, you're around competition and then you take it up another level. Um, I, I'm guessing, yeah, that the athletes, they get quite familiar with their competition and knowing strengths yeah. and weaknesses and, and trying to expose those. Mm-hmm. So tell me about, um, you know, you took, uh, Miramani's to a state championship two years in a row. You know, what was that, what was the experience like, you know, uh, or stay at NorCal? Um, you, you know, we mentioned before this NorCal and SoCal, they have different seasons. Yeah. So you took them to the NorCal championship. What was that uh, experience like, you know, seeing these young athletes get to win it all and in, in a sense, mm-hmm. California's big, so it's still winning it all. Yeah. So I've been, uh, yeah, well, it's kind of, it, it's, I'll, I'll, I'll clarify the history a little bit. When I, my first year I came in, we were, we were very, very fortunate. We, we uh, went undefeated and we went to the, the final game of NorCal regionals, which for water polo is considered to be the state championship. It's as far as you can go um, in Northern California. And, uh, and we went undefeated and uh, we, we took it all the way to the end and won. And that was great. You know, and then I graduated five of our seven starters. Um, so we kind of gutted our team and we kind of took a year to build back up. We made it to the semifinals of sections and it's single elimination in the off season, at least in that particular part, we were still going to go to NorCal's, but we were going to have a much lower seed. And then the fires happened. So we ended up having to cancel the whole season. Um, and then the last, and then the, the season I just finished, we, um, we made it to the finals of sections and we were going up against a, a team that was undefeated, even did even better than we did undefeated two years in a row, wow. um, played, played them to a two goal game. Uh, unfortunately lost that, but still got a very good seat for NorCal's. Um, so that's kind of the, you know, the postseason success that we've been able to have. But I think I have to borrow from Steve Kerr, who I think is such a humble guy. And I, and I just love his approach. Um, to these kinds of questions, but I was extremely lucky to, to walk into a program that just had so much talent. Um, and uh, to be honest, most of the time I felt like I was just kind of sitting there watching, you know, these, these yeah. girls are so on in tune with each other. They played at a level that almost looked like a dance. You know what I mean? It was just expand, contract. What's this person doing? They fed off of each other. And I just felt so fortunate just to sit there and witness it. Um, you know, sometimes I think like, you know, did I really do anything for those girls? They were, <laughs> they just had it. They just had a yeah. been playing together for so long. I'm sure the same way that, you know, Steve Kerr, you know, is there for the Warriors. It's just kind of that same um, yin and yang kind of approach. Like everyone plays off of one another, um, different, different uh, skills help out from the coaching and the player aspect. Uh, we're coming to the, you know, the tail end of, of our conversation here. And I really appreciate you taking the time couple more questions around coaching and then um, we'll go into this little fun and you know, speed round that takes a couple minutes. But um, 
Uh, you know, you you had mentioned earlier, and I won't allow you the opportunity to talk about it, as you, you said you wanted to talk a little bit later about multiple sports and water polo. Um, open, I mean, I don't have a question for you here, but you, you, you know, I want to let you talk to that because you had mentioned you wanted to um, bring that up a, a little bit later. Sure. Uh, yeah, well, it's kind of funny. I was, I don't know if you're listening. Did you know that uh, Steve Kerr and Pete Carroll are, they started a podcast? I didn't know that, did they? Yeah. Yeah. So I think they're on their fourth one right now. And uh, I was actually, I got on my spin bike last night and I put my headphones on and just listened to this podcast for an hour and just kind of did some mindless, uh, you know, cycling. And uh, they had uh, the general manager of the Dodgers. I think his name is Dave Roberts. You you would know being a baseball guy, probably, right? Yeah, I should know this. But Dave Roberts was, um, he was the Red Sox uh, head coach for a little while, I believe. Okay. Uh, so, so, so anyway, so there, they were, uh, one thing that they were really harping on is kind of uh, playing multiple sports, especially at a young age. And it's kind of, they're representing that with who they had on the, on the podcast. You know, they had a, a basketball coach, a professional basketball coach, a professional baseball coach and professional football coach. And the amount of overlap and things that translated from sport to sport was incredible. I mean, they just, their conversation was so fluid and they were talking about their experience growing up. They just played whatever sport was in season. You know what I mean? There was no year round commitment or anything like that. And, you know, we got to take this with a grain of salt because the prerequisite for, for playing land sports is you got to be able to walk. You got to be able to stand. You got to be able to run, which is stuff you do in your daily activities. Right. Right. So maybe when you're considering a sport like water polo and the prerequisite is being able to swim and get over your hips and tread water and really rely on your legs, that might take a little more, a little more time you need to dedicate in your, in your own time in the off season. But, um, I'll just call, I'll recall quickly, a. a uh, you know, Pete Car- or excuse me. Um, yeah. Pete Carroll, his quarterback, Russell Wilson, you know, he was drafted uh, in, in the MLB. Right. Right. And uh, you know, in the off season, I think he's plugged in tight with the New York Yankees. So, you know, when he's not playing football, he'll go train with them and he's a phenomenal athlete and speak uh, Pete Carroll really spoke to Russell Wilson, not being a big guy. And there's a lot of you know skepticism about his ability to play in the NFL, but he's such a dynamic player and he has such a, I don't even want to say an NFL high NFL IQ, football IQ. He has a high game IQ, right? You know what I mean? He's able to make decisions and adapt to his abilities. And I think that they, what they were really doing was attributing to his versatility and exposing himself to different types of sports, you know, all throughout his life. Even now when he's, when he's, you know, obviously uh, strictly a, a football player, that's how he makes his money. Um, you know, another example of Steve Kerr kind of chimed in and talked about uh, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, you know, sometimes Steve Kerr is all about joy and, you know, having fun. So sometimes they'll just pull out of football and practice awesome. and they'll just play, you know, play some football right there on the basketball court. And, and he, uh, he kind of had an eye-opening moment when he saw how well Clay Thompson and Mo Spates and Steve Kerr, or, or sorry, uh, Steph Curry could throw a football. I mean, they were right. bombing this ball. And he was like, what? Like, oh my gosh. You know, and then he started to make these connections, like probably to, you know, definitely Steph Curry being the best shooter in the world. Clay Thompson, not very far behind him. Like two of the best shooters in the world are also incredible. Like they can throw a ball an incredible level. And it's like, you know, there's, there's, there's gotta be some correlation there, you know, and there, how many times growing up, did they throw a football? How many times did they swing a bat, swing a golf club? Mm-hmm. And it just, it translates, you know, I think it translates for your body, but I also think it gives you a, a very high game IQ. And I want to say game and not tie it to a specific sport because 
And this will just kind of morph a little bit into another conversation where as a coach, you know, where do you really, what do you really look for in an athlete? And, you know, the physical talent only goes so far, you know, right. for me as I'm, I'm not a college coach, so I'm not recruiting kids and trying to figure out who I want to be a part of my club. I, I kind of have to deal with what I get, which is great. But when I'm piecing together my starting lineup or my subbing rotations or my rosters or something like that, I'm primarily looking at the decision-making process of these athletes. What kind of decisions do they make? You know what I mean? And, uh, and that all comes from that experience, I think. You know what I mean? Their ability to see and process the game on a higher level um, is, is extremely important. And Steve Carroll's on this podcast talking like, you know, when they're sizing up players for the NFL draft and they, they're building these player profiles, they're asking these questions. Do they play any other sports? Would they play in high school? Did they do anything else? And this is something they're giving serious thought to. So, I mean, I think this is an area that's going to, that's relatively untapped, but I think that uh, sports in general is kind of heading that direction. Um, so anyway, it's a balancing factor, but I think it's important. Um, yeah, I'm a big advocate of playing multiple sports. Um, and I mean, you know, I played multiple sports uh, growing up. One thing that I had a, a real hard time, uh, we had the opportunity one time to, um, in, in college, they set us up against the women's water polo team. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, as pitchers, and we went in there with our, uh, our chest puffed out thinking that we could, uh, easily drop in the water mm-hmm. and, uh, and compete at any kind of level. And, and it, it was, uh, it was, yeah, a, a comedy show, of, uh, <laughs> no, no, no idea how to tread water. Uh, guys were swimming to the, to the side of the pool almost immediately because, uh, <laughs> these, uh, these, uh, you know, women water polo players are just running us over, demolishing us. So mm-hmm. all for multiple sports, but, um, it's a it, uh, uh, land sport was a little bit easier for us baseball players. And so, so I got to ask, I know, you know, my wife real well. And uh, was yeah. she on the team at that point? You know, I got, you'd have to ask what years was she? It was uh 2008 to 2010. So was she there? Yeah, uh, she was there. She was there to 08 to 2012. And yes, uh-huh. she was. So she was one okay. of the ones running over. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if she's ever told me that story. I, I'm going to have yeah. to ask her. You have to <laughs> ask her. Uh, they one time to let us pitchers, you know, I go against them. And I think, I think they ended up beating us in a small amount of time, like 15 to one. And the mm-hmm. one goal was only because at one point we just, everybody, all the players went out there. So it was like 15 on seven. Um, okay. It was probably <laughs> luck, but so yeah. one last question I have for you. Um, sure. A lot of parents out there listening to this podcast, you know, what's the relationship as a head coach that you like to have with that parent's involvement um, as a coach, it's, it's an important piece and knowing, you know, what the balance is. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, to establish that spectrum or the extremes of that spectrum is you don't want to completely shut the parents out. Um, you know what I mean? It's, it's just as important to create buy-in from the parents as it is from your kid. You know, you don't want to your kid to go to practice and then, you know, they're, they're hearing all this stuff that the coach is saying, and then they're going home and they're hearing something completely different or even contradictory to what the coach was saying, you know, that, that naturally puts a lot of stress and a big burden on the athlete and could, and could bog down their development and just sense of joy for why they're doing it in the first place. Um, on the other end, you don't necessarily want the parents too close either. Um, you know, you want, you want to give the coach room to work. If, uh, if the, if the parents are too close and they're too, they're too involved in your, in your practice plan or your philosophy or something like that, then the coach can be handcuffed. You know what I mean? And then he's really not doing much for the players and really not doing, or she is not really doing much for the program. 
So, you know, obviously like if you're, if you're in either one of those situations, you're probably gone too far one direction or the other. Um, but you know, it's, it's, especially in the age group, the realm of age group sports, it can get dicey. I know we all have, pro, you know, we all have our, our stories of, you know, parents or coaches going rogue or parents coach coaching going rogue, but it's just something, it's just a reality. It's a reality that you got to deal with. Um, you know, you have your principles and have your way of doing things, but, uh, you know, I would just say avoid the extremes would be the short answer. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. All right, speed round. This is uh, going to complete this uh, great conversation. So, um, who was your favorite uh, athlete role model growing up? Uh, Michael Jordan, hands down. Um, yeah, well, actually, yeah, when I was younger, but it, later it became other athletes from other sports. But yeah, Michael Jordan. Great answer. Uh, favorite moment moment ever in your sport. So, favorite moment that you experienced in water polo. Oh gosh. Um, <sighs> You know, I don't, uh, can it be as a coach? You can. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I would have to say winning, you know, that undefeated season, I think that was just a really cool thing to be a part of. Um, and, uh, yeah, either, either that, or, you know, maybe in a club season where a team did better than we were projected to do, you know, that's probably a, just as good a feeling. Awesome. But, yeah. Say one Favorite professional sports moment that you got to witness. You know, I think uh, Kobe Bryant's last game when he, when he dropped 60, I think that was pretty cool. Um, that's, that's the one that comes to mind. I don't know. Kobe's in my mind a lot right now. So uh, yeah, I would have to go with that. Awesome. All right, Lance Morrison. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk to me, talk water mm-hmm. polo. Um, I wish you uh, all the best in, in uh, what you're doing now and um, hope that our parents out there got a good, great uh, piece of information or advice from, from what Lance talked to us today. And it was a lot of good information. So, Hey, well, I really appreciate that tie. And, uh, you know, this kind of stuff is awesome and the world needs, the world needs more of it. So keep fighting the good fight, my man. Thank you for listening to the making an athlete podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor. Check us out at making an Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to catch our next episode.